Every time I watch that bumper, I think, man, I need to have like a YouTube channel or something, get people like and subscribe it or something. It makes me feel like is everybody, everybody's got something going on. Maybe I should get something going on. Um, well, good morning. So glad you're here. Um, we are in week two of a series called Like and Subscribe. And, uh, and I am <clears throat> quickly approaching my 47th birthday. And uh, yeah, yeah, woo, woo, go, go late 40s. It's the, it's the new late 30s, I think. Uh, so, um, but one of the things that, that I, I think we experience, and maybe you can relate to this, and, and something that I, I've experienced a lot in my life is, is that, have you ever had that feeling where, because like, we all have a, a, a time in our life where we're comparing, sort of measuring ourselves against other people and where we are in our life, and, 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 but do you ever feel like you're, you're just competing against you? Like, like for all the comparisons we make, uh, of ourselves against other people, maybe the, the thing that we do the most is measuring ourselves uh, against who we think we should be or, or where we think we should be at this moment in time. And, and so last week we began this conversation about life and commitment and habits, and, and it's really rooted in this awareness that no matter what our lives have been, no matter what the choices that we've made, no matter who we've been the last couple of years, no matter how good or bad our life has been, like that we can actually become more. And, and at, at its core, this series is really an invitation that, that together we would collectively all just you know, step back and say, wherever I am right now, I'm going to step into more. Whatever that looks like, whatever that means, whatever that holds, whatever this year is going to be like, wherever I am right now, I can't do anything about the past, but I can in this moment begin to step forward and move my life into more. I'm going to step into more. And then recognizing that in order to do that, it's going to take some commitment and passion and discipline and habits to actually do that, to actually get where we want to go. One of the things that's interesting to me is that our culture doesn't really put commitment on display very often. Like, have you ever been watching a movie and you're really into it and then it ends and you're like, wait, what? Like, that's it? No, no, I, it can't be over. I have more questions. Like, I have a lot of questions about what's going to happen. Like, that happens all the time for my wife, Hansi. Like, we'll be watching a movie. The movie will end, and she'll be like, well, what happened to the waiter? He was going through a divorce. And I'm like, well, he was only in the movie for like a minute and a half, and they're probably not going to tell us. They literally didn't even bother giving his character a name. He was basically an extra. We don't get to know the life story of everybody who just happened to pass through the movie in one scene. But, but to be honest, I can kind of understand because it happens to me sometimes too, mostly with romantic comedies, because most romantic movies usually end with either a wedding or with someone dying, or, or at least that moment where they finally, you know, stop fighting fate and figure it all out and they get together. Last night, we, uh, we watched uh, we watched the Adam Sandler movie, Just Go With It, I think is what it's called. It's on Netflix. And, and sure enough, like they, you know, him and Jennifer Aniston and they work together and they know each other and he's in love with this other person and she's, you know, trying to figure it out and then, and they're together and then all of a sudden they start like figuring out like, oh, maybe it's supposed to be us and then, they, and then they get together and it is, they get married. The problem is so, so often is the credits roll and, and I start wondering like, okay, well, what happened then? Because there's like a lot of real life stuff you got to figure out. I mean, like, 
you know, you know I, I, one, of my, one of my favorite sort of romantic comedy movies is a little quirky, and it, it's Silver Linings Playbook, and it's just so odd and strange and funny and interesting and human and compelling. But, but I remember at the end of that, I'm like, okay, but he's, he's still bipolar, right? Or, or like you watch a movie, and it's like, her mom still hates you, or one of you is going to have to up your, uproot your life and move across the country and relocate to another state, or you're both still broke. What are you going to do about that? Not to mention that's still that period of time in your life where like, you lied repeatedly to each other, or one of you cheated, or you were with someone else. And I know you forgave them, but like, you're telling me you're not going to have to like, work through any of that stuff? Like, the truth is, like, romantic movies often end with the making of a commitment, not really are we shown ever the carrying out of a commitment. We see the wedding, but not the actual marriage. Or, or a movie will show us the moment that someone discovers who they want to be, and so we see the moment that they have the courage to, to declare to the world and to, to embark on that journey. But we're, we're not usually shown the years of hard work afterward to actually become that person. And the only time we do get a glimpse of commitment, it's usually in a, in a montage in the middle of the movie. We get to see, you know, five and a half years of, of life and hard work that's reduced to 20 seconds. We get to see five years of early mornings and late nights, five years of the ordinary and mundane moments of just showing up and putting in the work. And it's all packaged together in this exciting highlight reel coupled with a killer soundtrack. And so we're like, yeah, that's what I want. Right? Like, like, how can I fast forward through the pain and just get to the payoff? But, but that's the thing, is that commitment isn't, it's not a montage. We don't have a killer soundtrack playing to our life, right? Like, it, it can't be skipped or condensed or microwaved or instapotted. At, at, at its basic core, commitment is the ability to stick with something, to continue to bring the best of yourself to the same task again and again and again, despite there being other interesting options available. And I love that idea, but I also hate it because I'm a perpetual starter. I love starting things. Some people struggle and agonize over starting stuff or how to start, not me. Like I could start things all day long. It's finishings sometimes is where I struggle. That that's, it tends to be the problem for me. Starting comes really easy and naturally. There's excitement and energy and possibility. But I've actually had to learn how to choose to stick with things, to follow through and finish those projects. And maybe the biggest problem for all of us is that life rarely seems to cooperate with us at all, right? Because we imagine the kind of environment that we need in order for us to become who God created us to be, but life never really seems to give us the kind of conditions or the kind of timing or the kind of opportunities that that feel necessary or even essential for us to become that person. Like, what I really need is a personal chef to meal plan and prep for me, right? Like, I also need a personal trainer who will drive to my house every morning and wake me up very gently and, and who will create custom workouts based specifically on my own body type and needs and desires and wants. Or, or man, if I just had a Peloton, then and only then would I really transform my body and really get healthy, The problem is I can't afford any of that. And it's not true anyway, because I'd fire my trainer the first day for waking me up earlier than I wanted him to. I'd force my chef to make me Mexican food every single day, because that's my favorite. And my Peloton would become a really expensive clothes rack that sits in the corner and just has stuff draped all over it, right? 
And then the other stupid thing I do is that, that I have these completely unreasonable expectations where I'll finally get the motivation to change or to start something or to do something. And I just, I want, and I want to go from doing nothing to doing everything the first day. It's like, all right, that's it. I'm going to be a runner. I'm going to go from not running. I'm going to go run five miles today. And no, no, you're not right. Like, and, and so I have this sense of like, whatever it is that I'm starting, I want to nail it the first day. And I want to get non-typical results with zero struggle. And, and I want everybody to notice the first day and to high-five me because of everything that's changing. I want to see all the results. I want to step on the scale and boom, I'm down 10 pounds. Like, yes, <laughs> exactly. And then if all of that doesn't happen, well, then, well, okay, well, then I'm quitting. Look, I tried to change you guys. I tried new habits. I tried commitment, but it just didn't work for me. And that's the struggle we all have, right? It's not that we don't know how. It's usually that we don't like the how. Or we get stuck in the place where what if all the options that are available to you aren't really anything that you actually want to do? What do you, what do, you do then? Well, the truth is, is that this is, it's always sort of been this way, like for all of humanity, for all, you know, since time began, and when you read the scriptures, when you read the Bible, what you find is the, the people of God struggling with this very conversation where they were constantly struggling to become who they longed to be, but, but also wishing and waiting for a time and a place and a circumstance and an environment that just never seemed to materialize. And so there's, there's one of these moments in, in the book of Isaiah, I'm sorry, in the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament that we're going to look, look at um, here in just a second. But before we get there, I wanted to give you a little backstory. So, so land had always been a big deal. It has always been a big deal in the Middle East. Um, it, you know, it's a big deal now. Like all of the tensions that we all hear about all the time are usually around land. Uh, and, and, but it's always been a big deal. And it was no different for the ancient Jewish people. So Israel, for them, was the promised land. Land that specifically was specifically for and literally promised to them by God. And not only had they escaped slavery, but they had journeyed for years through the wilderness and fought all kinds of battles in order to get there. And God had led them and was with them every single step of the way. And the land of Israel was the stuff of legend for them. Like it was said that it was flowing with milk and honey, meaning it had everything that you could ever want, ever need in excess. And so the land was not just their home, it was for many of them, it was their destiny. And they believed that living anywhere else was less than. Like being anywhere else, was you don't settle for that. It certainly wasn't God's best, and you shouldn't settle for being anywhere else. But when we pick up the story that we're going to read today, Jerusalem had been conquered, and many of the people from the city and many of the people from Israel had been yanked from their homeland and hauled into captivity in Babylon. And you can actually read all about that part of the story and how it all unfolded in the first chapter of Daniel, because Daniel and Jeremiah lived at the same time, and, and so we get different parts of the same story. Um, but so now there's a whole bunch of them living in Babylon, and now they're stuck. And all they wanted to do was to leave Babylon and go home. And, and of course they wanted to live extraordinary lives. Of, of course they wanted to become all that God had for them. Of course they, they wanted God to be their top priority. But what they were certain about was one thing, is that they couldn't possibly do any of that now, and certainly not here. 
And so they beg God and they beg God to, to come and rescue them. They beg him to, to let things go back to what, the way they were. And finally God responds. But what he says shocks them and angers them and they're hurt and they disillusioned. They don't know what to do with it. But I, I think it's helpful and instructive for us because of the things that he says that he wants them to do. And it, it's this incredible story about what commitment looks like. And so we pick it up in Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning with verse four. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says to all of the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Like sometimes when we read things, we just take for granted. So God is speaking to his people who are being held captive, as I just said, they've been taken from Jerusalem into Babylon. This is what he says. Build homes and plan to stay. Not starting off great, God. Not going to lie. Plant gardens and eat the food that they produce. Marry and have children and then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. I I love that phrase. Don't dwindle away. Like, like, he's obviously specifically talking about having children, but, but so often like we get stuck in a place where we're just slowly sort of dwindling away, where our life is just kind of shrinking down. See, the, the truth is like we're either growing intentionally, growing every day, growing on purpose, or we're just sort of kind of dying away, dwindling away gradually. Verse seven. He says, and work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. And so you have all of these people who are living in Babylon and they're thinking, okay, any minute now, God is going to show up and he's going to show this Nebuchadnezzar guy who was the king of Babylon. He's going to show this dude who's boss and we're going to get out of here and we're going to get back to Jerusalem and things are going to be great and we're going to finally be able to step into who we're supposed to be. But now here God's saying, they're waiting for him to speak and now God begins to speak and God starts saying, no, no, guess what? You're not going anywhere. And so they're hurt and they're confused and even offended Because notice how God starts, right? Notice the description in verse four. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says, right? That's where we're like, man, God is so great. He's so massive. He's so powerful. He's got incredible armies. Yes. Like, you know, when they heard that part, they're like, yes, that's right. That's right. Y'all about to feel the wrath of the Lord of heaven's armies. Like, I don't know how many armies heaven has, but it's a lot. And no matter how many there are, heaven's armies are definitely bigger and stronger and more powerful than your earthly army, Babylon. But then as God gets into what he's saying, this is what he says. Build houses, plan to stay. See, God opening what he's saying in that way, it was his, way, it was his not so subtle way of saying, Yes, I am powerful enough to save you from where you are, but I'm not going to. And you need to trust me on this. You need to stay put that you're exactly where you're supposed to be. See, sometimes we need to have the courage, right, to leave when we want to stay. But there's other times we need to have the courage to stay 
when everything in, in us is screaming that it's time to leave. See, in, in essence, what he's saying is you can become everything you're called to be, where you already are, and what you already have at your disposal. <sighs> no, see, God, I don't, you don't understand I need a personal chef, Right? And so we often fall, like they had fallen into the same trap we do. It's like, if this happens, then I'll do that. If I get a Peloton, then I'll really, like when this happens, then, you know. And, and so we wait to push our chips into the middle until it's a really good time. When that happens, then I'll know, and then I'll really commit. And that's what they were doing. It's like, when, when we get back to where we want to be, when God comes through, when we're no longer here, when this is over, when this whole nightmare ends, then we'll really go in. Then we'll really lean in and become who we want to be. See, the truth is, is we all go through situations in our life that actually become our excuses to become less, to live below the life that God created us to live, to live below God's intention. And so we think, I'm not afraid to commit. It's just not the right time, right? When the conditions are right, then I'm all in. But that's not now, and it's definitely not here. Have you ever done that where you you made a list of all of the reasons why, all of the excuses for why your life is the way it is, like for why you can't start, why you can't change, why you can't commit in this particular area, for this particular way, for this particular time, where you're just like, I don't know. I mean, I'm just... I would, I'd really go, I just, I'm not being challenged enough right now. I mean, or, or these are the wrong kinds of people or nobody here gets me or everybody over there is so fake or the market is just so saturated or there aren't really any, any real opportunities here or this stuff isn't really on the level of what I should be doing. I'm kind of above this. I mean, I really should be doing some other stuff or there's, there's no way that, that me having to do this right here, right now, like this can possibly be what God wants for me. Or how about this one where we're just like, I mean, I mean, if God wants it to happen, you guys, it'll happen. Like we say that all the time. If God wants it to happen, it'll happen. And, it, and we act like it's a profession of just how powerful and massive God is, but it's really just an excuse for us to go, I don't really want to do anything, and we'll just see how it plays out. And it's easy to see why we think that, right? After all, Jesus actually said something kind of like that in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Listen to what he said. He said, if, you, if any of you wants to be my follower, it will just happen. No, he says, if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. Yeah, that's kind of different from if God wants it to happen, it'll just happen. That sounds nothing like what we say. Take up your cross daily, no matter what. What if it's too heavy? What if I don't feel like it? What if it, I don't like the people around me that are taking up their crosses? Hey, well, what if it's the wrong kind of cross? What if the terrain, like I carried my cross uphill both ways? Like what if I'm just old? Like I, we have all kinds of reasons. It sounds nothing like what we think, but it is a better way to live. See, even in our story, the prophet Jeremiah is saying like, what if the life you're longing for isn't about finding a different soil, but actually fostering deeper roots in the soil where you're already planted? It's not really what we're feeling. It's not really what we want. 
So in verse five, God, the first thing he says is build homes and plan to stay. He's plan to stay. Some, sometimes we get so fixated on what might be just around the corner or just over the horizon that we miss what's right in front of us. And, and God's going, look, you, you gotta choose to be where you are. You can't be anywhere else. You are here in Babylon. You gotta choose to be there and live your life. He's saying you gotta decide, but then there's something you gotta do. And it's not one or the other, it's both. You have to decide and then you gotta do something. See, commitment actually begins in our minds and it gets rooted in our hearts, but it's lived out in our hands and feet. It's lived out in what we do every day. It's a choice and a decision, but it always, always, always leads to action. It leads to us doing something. I think it's interesting that the first thing that God tells them to do is to build. This is the opposite of what they wanted to do. I mean, they wanted to destroy, to tear it all down, right? They're going, these people are evil. Not only do they not believe what we believe, not only is this place foreign, but they took us prisoner. Like we're here against our will for crying out loud. Let's burn this mother down. Like, I don't want to build stuff. I don't want to build this place. I don't want to make it better. I want to burn it to the ground so I can go home. Isn't it interesting that in our culture, like we've gotten really good at tearing bad things down, but we're not so good at building good things in their place. Which in the end just leaves everything broken. The truth is, it's hard for us to change something when we're not a part of it, when we don't take responsibility for it, whether that's your country or your community or your family or your church or even your life. But not only does God not tell them to destroy the place, he tells them to invest, to build, to make it better. He even says, plan to stay. In other words, stop trying to escape where you are and be where you are and build your life right there. We, um, we love to travel in our family and have had the opportunity to do that a little bit. But when there's six people and you have four kids, it's a production. And especially when you have little kids. And when we've taken longer trips in the past, sometimes we take so much stuff, it feels like we're moving, not traveling. It's like, well, we're going to move. Let's just stay there. I don't, I don't, I don't want to have any of this, bring any of this home. And, and Hansi and I are so different. Like if we're going to be somewhere more than a day or so, like, she moves in, like she unpacks, she takes everything out and puts it in the dressers and hangs all the clothes in the closet. And that was like super weird to me at first because before I got married, I'd never ever did any of that. In fact, there was no reason for me to ever check a room when I was leaving because everything stayed in my suitcase the entire time, right? But, but I have to say like, you know, when we got married and we started trying to figure out like, okay, you do it that way and I do it this way and which is going to be the better way and her way won and so we do it her way now and it is a better way. But, but here's the point. It's one thing to live out of a suitcase when you're traveling. But I think sometimes we have areas of our lives or even whole seasons or periods of our lives where, where, where we are is just temporary. And so emotionally and spiritually and even relationally, we're just living out of a suitcase. But the reality is our lives are deeper and fuller and richer and more meaningful when we commit ourselves, when we unpack our lives, when we build homes and plan to stay. And so he goes on to say in verse, the latter part of verse five, plant gardens and eat the food that they produce. And I think part of what he's talking about here is like he, he's He's going to take responsibility to develop what you need where you are. 
right? Because they were somewhere else and the food was different and they hated it. And they're just like, I hate the food here. I don't, and he's like, well, then grow your own food and make the food you like. Like you can actually plant a garden and grow what you like. Like if you feel like you need that, then do that. Don't expect somebody else to do it. You plant the garden. Also recognize that gardens don't just produce overnight. Like we've actually had to, we've tried to have a real garden a couple of times and we're terrible at it and have failed miserably. And last year we planted a few things and a few planter boxes on the side of our house. And, and let's just say we're still kind of figuring the whole gardening thing out, but you don't have to be like a gardening guru to know that you can't plant a garden and then ignore it and then magically get what you want out of it a few days or a few weeks later. You have to water it and tend it and weed it and prune it and fertilize it and defend it against pests. You, it takes some work. And so what is he saying? He's saying, look, he's going, figure out what you need. And then you begin a rhythm in your life. You set in motion what you need to do to go and get what you need. By the way, when you're planting a garden, you're not sitting around daydreaming about the food somewhere else. And so God's going, look, if you're not eating well, it's because you're not gardening well. And, and that's not someone else's problem. That's, that's your problem. Don't, don't depend or blame other people when you don't have what you need. Why? Because as we talked about last week, you will always, always, always harvest what you plant. He goes on, verse 6, marry and have children and find spouses for them and multiply which I think for us is this idea of, of cultivating deep connections inside the community we're already in. That there, there, there are real people right in front of us that, that you have to build the family and the community that you're looking for. It's not just gonna happen. Maybe the most spiritual thing some of us can do in our life right now or some of us can do this year in our life is actually take some relational initiative, that, that we would go and be a friend and stop waiting to be befriended, that, that we would go and start some conversations and love some people instead of standing on the edge and waiting for someone else to engage us, that we would go and invite somebody to join us in our journey and in our life, invite someone to do something and not just wait for someone to invite us. Like there's a proactivity to what God is saying that no one is gonna do it for you. It's not just gonna happen because you want it to happen. We all want deep community, but none of us wanna do the work that actually leads to that community. Verse seven, he says, work for the peace and the prosperity of the city and pray for its welfare. And this is the one that I think is just kind of the hardest for us. Because the truth is some problems can't be solved until you actually take the time to wade into the middle of them. Like we always want to fix everything without getting our hands dirty or with a lot of effort or with a lot of risking a lot or put a, you know, a lot of skin in the game. Like we want to believe that we're an island and that our lives are independent of everyone else, but it's just not true, right? Because the, the truth is, is that there's more at stake. There's more hanging in the balance of your life and who you're becoming than just you. For your family, for your community, for your neighbors, for your coworkers, for your church. Like who you become affects all of us. Who we're becoming affects all of us. I think sometimes we get stuck for the reasons some of us really haven't committed in certain ways or gone all in or we haven't gotten started in a certain area is because we feel like there's somebody that's holding us back. There's somebody that's sabotaging us. And maybe, you know, in 
the, the narrative and that story, it's intentional and maybe it's accidental and maybe it's up close or maybe it's from a distance. But whatever the case is, like, some of us have allowed someone else to become our excuse for why we are not doing something or being someone. But I think what, think about who, who it is that God is telling these people to pray for. He's telling them to pray for their enemies, people who had taken them hostage, the people responsible for the worst and most painful and difficult parts of their lives and their stories, because they did not take the entire nation of Israel hostage and carry them off to Babylon. They took thousands of them, but thousands more stayed behind. And so you had communities and neighborhoods and families ripped apart and torn apart, separated from people they love. And now God is telling them not only to pray for them, but also to work for their peace and their blessing. That actually does kind of sound like something Jesus really did say. Matthew chapter 5, where he said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And so God tells them to work and pray, both of which are required. We want to do one or the other, right? Like, it's like, I'm just going to do everything I can. If it doesn't work out, or, or I don't really want to do anything. I'm just going to pray about it. We, which we would never do in real life, right? You would never go into a room open a giant closet and it's a mess and you just step back and just start weeping and praying over it. Lord, please heal this closet. No, you would get down and start cleaning it up. Work and pray. What I've found in my life is that one usually leads to the other. That I tend to actually begin to put myself into things that I care enough to pray about. And the things that I care enough to devote my time and effort and energy to, I've just decided, well, if it's worth my time and effort and energy, it's probably important enough for me to actually pray about that. By the way, this is what commitment looks like, work and prayer, dedication and devotion, mission and passion. Now, as you can imagine, none of this is what these people wanted to hear. And I don't really blame them, right? Like, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't want to hear this kind of stuff. Like, I want to be a giant slayer without having to actual face any actual giants. Like, I just want to be able to be like, yes, I did it. I conquered. But I don't want to actually have to go through the fight and the training and the blood and the sweat and the tears. A few years ago, I was sitting in a leadership experience listening to somebody talk and they said something that I'll never forget they said that everything you want for your life and your family for your ministry is uphill from where you are the problem is is we all want what's up there but our habits and our desires are downhill like we want to coast going downhill is fun but where you want to be is uphill in the end, when it comes to picking a path to commit to, of course you need to be wise. But making progress is less about your environment and so much more about your willingness to engage. If you're a 
football fan, you probably know who Curtis Martin is. He's a Hall of Fame running back. He played most of his career with the New York Jets. He played uh, for a Hall of Fame coach and Bill Parcells. Bill Parcells won a Super Bowl with the Giants and then resurrected the Patriots long before Bill Belichick was there. The reason why anybody even cares about the Patriots is because Bill Parcells went there and sort of resurrected the Patriots and coached the Jets and coached the Cowboys. And uh, But when he was with the Jets, they drafted Curtis Martin, and he was super talented. And um, at his Hall of Fame speech, Curtis Martin stood up and began to tell a bunch of stories about Coach Parcells. And um, he tells a story about in his first couple of years, they were in training camp, and he was working out, and he had a, a reputation for working out hard and practicing hard, and so everybody was standing around and and he was really talented, and they're running through these drills, and everybody's really impressed, and, and um, everybody's impressed except Coach Parcells. And so Coach calls him over, called him Boy Wonder. He's like, hey, Boy Wonder, come here. And he's like, how you feeling? How you working out today? He's like, oh, you know, Coach, I, I like to outwork everybody in the room. I like to, you know, you know how I am. And he's like, oh, I just want to make sure you're not fooling yourself. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? And he said, a, a lot of us in our life, we mistake routine for commitment. We have these routines that have been built into our lives and we do these things over and over and over again and we even get better at them and we mistake that routine for, having, for actually committing to being the best that we can be. Curtis Martin in his Hall of Fame speech, he said that one idea is why I'm standing here. See, I think sometimes we, we have these routines, whether it's like we go to church or whatever it is, spiritual routines, things that you do in your life. And we think because we have a routine that we have this level of commitment in our life. But the truth is, is like, you know, like you can go through a routine and not really be committed and be all in and not really have that thing bringing to bear the best of who you are in that moment. Yeah, I don't know what you've experienced, but like, you can actually start to think about your life and pretty quickly, you know, you, you can know if it's just a routine or if it's actually something deeper than that. See, I, I've had experience in my own life and my own leadership, my own ministry where people have come up to me and been like, oh man, that was amazing. And the way you led that and how you've done that. And oh, that was the thing that you said. And, and it looked good on the outside, but I knew inside I had mailed it in. I knew inside, like, I wasn't doing the best I could do. I wasn't really committed to the thing. See, it might all look good. We, we might actually get better at certain things, but you know. I wonder how many of us have areas in our life where we've mistaken routine for commitment. There, there's one last thing that I want you to see. One of the most famous verses in the Bible comes right after this section in Jeremiah 29 that we read. Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of the most famous verses in the Bible, and this is what it says. This is God speaking. He was still talking. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Oh, man, we love those promises. This is amazing to think that God has plans for you. Like he's got plans to bless you and not to harm you, that he wants to build up your life, that he wants to make you all you're dreaming of. And he wants to, that he has this plan for your life to become something really incredible and beautiful. For your faith to have an impact, not just in your family, but in your community and in your church. That, that God wants to give you a hope and a future. Man, we love that. 
But those words were spoken in the context of the story that we just read above, right? See, the, the plans that God has for you, the hope and the future he has for you has a lot to do with you choosing to commit to the people and the place and the process that you find yourself in right now. Like, like we love the promise of, oh, I know the plans he has for you. I just don't want to be like exiled in Babylon. <laughs> I, I don't want all the pain of all the stuff those people were going through. I just want the, the good stuff. I want the future and the hope. See, our, our capacity to run free is always going to be connected to our commitment to actually stand firm where we are. And notice that God says, I, I love this reality in what God promises. See, he's like, no matter what you do, this is what I'm going to do. He asks for a commitment from us, but not before making a commitment to us. He went first. That's why Jesus came. You're not alone. He's more committed to your life and who you're becoming than you are. So what if we stopped waiting for everything to be perfect and we just got moving in the direction that God is pointing us in? What if we just took the first small step and practiced that one act of commitment over and over and over again? What would happen? What if we decided that we were going to build something amazing this year right where we are and then we just got busy doing it? What if we began planting gardens and deciding who we wanted to be and how we wanted to get there and we began to create rhythms in our life to make that happen? What if we cultivated the kind of community that we're looking for? What if we made it our priority to both work and pray this year? Well, I think you already know the answer to that. Like, what, what could God do in your family? What could God do in your faith? What could God do in our church? What, is God, what could God do in your finances if you truly trusted him? And not like where you just say that you kind of believe it, but where you really commit to your life to living that way. Because all of that, that's what commitments look like, looks like. That's, that's how we do it. And we stop waiting and hoping for easier or different or better conditions or an environment and instead fully engage our heart and our mind and our energy and our time and our resources to becoming who God created us to be right here, right now. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do with me this year. Commit to the same set of spiritual disciplines for the next six months months. And which ones? Well, that's what we're going to spend the rest of this series talking about in the next three weeks. Last week, we started one of them that I read every day. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be and give an overview of a whole bunch of different things that will make a huge impact in your life. And you don't have to do them all, but commit to a few and stick with them and see what happens Let's not spend another year skimming the surface of our faith, but let's commit to a deeper, fuller, richer life. Maybe there's more exciting things that we could talk about at the beginning of 2020, but this is the one conversation that would actually could change our life if we begin moving into it. Let's pray together.